If you will, please take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Every Sunday as a pastor, you stand up and you try to communicate truths that are far beyond at times your ability to communicate. Um, How do you communicate the glory and the majesty of God with mere human words? And yet, um, that is the task of preaching. I find myself in a different kind of bind this morning in that um, Theresa and I are profoundly thankful and grateful to all of you for the outpouring of love during this month um, connected with pastor appreciation. And I... Um, struggled mightily to find the words to convey how grateful and thankful we are to all of you for your prayers, for you laboring in our home, um, for you uh, writing us notes of encouragement. Um, All those things mean so much to a pastor. And I am profoundly thankful and grateful to all of you for your love and your support from the moment we got here to now. And, um, and sometimes, uh, you know, you don't have the words to communicate that, but I, I really hope you all feel that and know that, that we are profoundly grateful and thankful to all of you. And so from the bottom of our hearts, we wanted to express that this morning. And now let's turn our attention to God's ro- word, Romans chapter 1. We'll be reading from verse 1 through 17. Hear now the word of the Lord. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles." I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to all who are in Rome. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. All flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass will wither, and the flower will fade, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be preached unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you so much for your righteousness imputed to us, that we may be able to live by faith. Thank you so much for the men and women in here and those all across this nation, all across the world, that have been given the ability to live by faith. Father, thank you for your goodness in that. Now bless us as we look at this passage. May you fill our hearts and our minds with your truth, and may we live differently as a result of it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, Many Bible scholars and Bible teachers recognize that verse 16 through 17 is the point of Romans. It's what is known as the thesis statement. But I would argue that it's not just the thesis statement of Romans, but the thesis statement, one one would say, of the entire Bible. And this morning, what I want to do is just take one phrase, one one statement, I should say, and I want us to look at what that means for us today. And the statement is simply at the end of verse number 17, the righteous shall live by faith. Some of you might have um, a translation that says the just shall live by faith. Now, this statement is a critical statement that appears throughout the entire Bible. For instance, um, when you look at this statement and see how it, it is applied in the entire Bible, you will notice that this statement has come to mean different things to different people throughout the history of Scripture. For instance, for Abraham, who was righteous, he lived by faith in the sense that when God came to him, God says, Abraham, go out of your land. Leave your people group. And oh, by the way, in your old age... I will give you an heir. Imagine that. Imagine God coming to Abraham and telling him this, and Abraham possessing the faith to believe God, the one true God, and to act in accordance with that. Or what about Habakkuk in Habakkuk 2.4, as he's communicating to the people of Judah that God is about to come and rain down judgment on his people, and he's arguing and fussing with God and saying, God, why are you doing this? And God looks at him and says, write down the appointed vision. And as he began to write it down, Habakkuk said, you know what, God, you're right. The nations are haughty. The nations rise up against you. But we, your people, even though we will endure judgment, we shall live by faith. What about Paul here in Romans chapter 1? As he is communicating to the church at Rome, a group of people in a pluralistic society, 
telling them and urging them not to be ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. And then he calls the people at Rome to remember that the righteous shall live by faith even in the midst of a pluralistic society. Or what about Paul in Galatians as he's writing the church of Galatia and they're overcome with the Judaizers telling them, no, 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 you must do the works of the law in order to be saved. And Paul tells the church at Galatia, no, you don't understand. The righteous shall live by faith, not by the works of the law. What about in Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 10, 38. As Paul makes the same statement, the righteous shall live by faith. Or whoever wrote Hebrews for that matter. I don't know if it's Paul. So I know some of you might come to me afterwards and say, Pastor Dennis, you know, it's not really Paul. All right, I know. But it kind of sounds like Paul. Just a little bit. But he's talking to this group of Hebrews and, and they're enduring persecution. And they're waiting for the return of the Lord. And he says, no, 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 no. You all have to live by faith. Now, I ask the question, what does this statement mean for us today? What does it mean for a group of 21st century Christians to live by faith? How can we live by faith in the midst or in the face of a resurging pandemic? How should we be living by faith in the midst of a divisive election? How should we be living by faith in the midst of racial strife? How should we be living by faith as our country experiences increased hostility? What does it mean for you and I to live by faith in the here and now? Because as I've shown you, the, throughout the generations in the Bible, all of them had to live by faith. That's what God commands of us. So how do we do it? In the here and now. Well, I offer you a few ways, and all of them are seen in this passage. And the first way is this. That the way we live by faith now is that Christians must be known as the righteous ones. We must be known as the righteous ones. Notice in our text, verse 16 and 17. Paul says this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul is calling out the righteous and he's saying that our righteousness is dependent upon the righteousness of God. In other words, the righteousness that God gives to his righteous people that they are supposed to show forth in the world. To be righteous, at least in this context, means that you and I are called to reflect the righteousness of God in the world right now. The closest thing to this that I think captures what Paul is talking about is I want you to think of a soldier in the military. The reason I spent the last seven or so years in Pensacola, and in Pensacola you meet a lot of military people. And one of the things you'll notice about military people is that as soon as they walk through the door of uh, the church that we served at, you know immediately that they were in the military, whether they had on their uniforms or not. They walked in a particular cadence. 
they're here. If they were men, their hair were always high and tight. You know, they always walked with a purpose. And if you talk to them, it's always yes, sir, no, sir. But they looked like they were in the military. They acted as if they were in the military. At any moment, they were willing to drop down and give you 50. Why? Because they were in the military. And we had several good friends in the military. And as I began to talk to them about their life in the military and what they did, there were three things that always interest me that they would say. And the first is this. They all said that they were fashioned into that. They were fashioned into this mindset of a soldier, that it took effort and took drills, but they were fashioned into it. The second thing, that it was an expectation that they act like a soldier. They didn't just show up to boot camp and then hope that they became a soldier. No, this was an expectation that their drill sergeants and the military had from them. But the third thing that always struck me was that they saw themselves this way. They saw themselves as being soldiers in the military. And the same thing is true for us as Christians. When it comes to this aspect of being righteous, I want you to see that we are fashioned into righteousness. That's the logic of this passage. Follow with me in verse number 15. Paul says this, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. That's his desire. Now, why is that a desire of Paul? Every statement after that tells us, number one, that Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, that his desire to preach the gospel is born out of a love for the gospel. Why does he love the gospel? Notice the next phrase, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. That Paul sees the gospel as the agent of the power of God to transform the lives of those around him. But notice also in verse number 17, Paul says, Because in it the righteousness of of God is revealed towards us, his people, from faith to faith. In other words, from beginning to end. And how does this look? Well, this looks like the righteous living by faith. Brothers and sisters, you and I are fashioned into being righteous. It's not by any works that we have done. We've been made righteous by Christ. Now, you all have to excuse me. I'm getting hot. When you start preaching, you you start sweating a little bit, you know? So I'm going to take off my jacket here. Can Can you all still hear me? All right, good. Let me put this right here. Let me throw off my jacket. My goodness. All right. I'm good now. But brothers and sisters, we are fashioned into righteousness. That God has, by his works, by his uh, righteousness, it has been given to us. Not only that, but righteousness is an expectation for you and I. It's an expectation. Last week, John uh, Grady preached a wonderful sermon about how you and I are Um, living stones. We're the hope of the world. That you and I are a holy nation, a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Those are not just sweet words for us to hear, but that's God giving us an expectation of who we are. You are the righteous ones. And that's an expectation on your life. But not only that, do you see yourself as righteous? 
When you look in the mirror, do you see someone who has been made righteous by Christ? When you think of yourself, you see yourself as being righteous. We sing a song in our home often with our children, and it's called I Am a C-H. Some of you probably know the song. I am a C, I am a C-H, I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N, and I have C-H-R-I-S-T in my H-E-R-T, and I will L-I-B-T-L-Y, you know, and we'll go faster and faster and faster, and this is the little song that we sing with our kids. Now, why do we do that? Because we're doing that in the hopes that as the more they say it, the more they say it, that eventually they will believe that about themselves. And the more they believe that about themselves, the more they will act that out in the world. Hey, let me tell you, the world needs righteous people. And they need the people of God to act righteously. You know, in our growth group, um, we've been studying uh, various uh, aspects or uh, attitudes within our society and looking at them from a biblical perspective. And recently, we read an article uh, about Joe Rogan. Anybody know who Joe Rogan is? Okay, several of you do. Joe Rogan is one of the most uh, popular podcasters in our society. And and the, the article said this, how Christians should be like Joe Rogan. And as I read the article, I, I have to tell you, she she was right. Now, I've listened to Joe Rogan. I've spent a lot of time listening to Joe Rogan. Not all of his stuff, but the one thing that she said about Joe Rogan, I have to agree with her. She said that Joe Rogan is a great listener, that he listens to people. She also mentioned that Joe Rogan humanizes people, treats them with dignity and respect, that he's gracious and kind. And she talks about how Joe Rogan is inviting and disarming. And at the end of it, she talked about how Christians need to be like Joe Rogan. And I couldn't believe that because Joe Rogan is not a believer. And yet his actions on his podcast said more about him and his righteousness than it did about most Christians. And I have to tell you, the article was convicting. Because to be quite honest, Christians are often not very nice people. And we don't treat people with dignity and respect. And we're often not gracious and kind. And we often don't listen to what people have to say. And it's not an exaggeration when this author says that Christians can learn a thing or two about being righteous from Joe Rogan, who is unrighteous. Because of the way we, tr- we act in the world. Now look, for all the good that Joe Rogan does, I would argue that he's an imperfect vessel for righteousness in the world. Beloved, that's our job. And more than just being nice and liking people, the Bible calls us as God's people to act in love. And as much as Joe Rogan does, all the good things that Joe Rogan does, I would argue that Joe Rogan doesn't do it out of a heart of love. At least not gospel-driven love. And that's what the Word of God calls us to. Beloved, this world needs the people of God to be 
righteous. To be the ones who listen. To be the ones who have hope. To be the ones that spread joy. That's what the word of God calls us to. Now most of most of us here today as Southern Christians, we'd say, amen, pastor. Of course, we'd be, we need to be righteous. Of course, we need to be saved. Of course, we need to do what is right. But the word of God just doesn't call us to be righteous. The word of God calls us to act in a righteous way. That's the second point. Notice in our text here, the righteous shall live by faith. That's an expectation. That we not only have to be righteous, but we also have to practice obedience. Now, I know obedience is a scary word, but that's what God has called us to. I remember hearing a story about Elizabeth Elliot. It's a story that Elizabeth Elliot tells about her brother, Tommy. And her brother uh, was told that whenever he played with his toys on the ground, he had to pick his toys up. And so Tommy was one day playing with his toys on the ground, and he looked up at the clock and realized that, you know what, it's time for me uh, to play my piano lessons. And so he leaves his toys on the ground, he goes and starts playing the piano. And since this was a Christian home, they played hymns. And so his mother walked in, and his mother saw him playing the piano, and his mother said, Tommy, uh, you left all your toys on the ground. You need to pick it up. And so little Tommy, as often children would do, looked over at his mom and says, Mom, uh, can't you see that I'm praising Jesus? To which his mother looked over at him and says, there's no use to praising Jesus when you're being disobedient. Beloved, hear me today. There are many people in the church who are praising God and who are acting righteous but who are living in disobedience. When Paul says that the righteous will live or shall live by faith, he's talking about obedience. In fact, go over to verse number five. He connects faith to obedience. If you look at verse number four into verse number five, he says, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith For the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you are required, obedience is required for you. That is not enough to just praise the Lord. You have to practice obedience. And Paul is saying two things here. Obedience is required for those who are righteous, but he's also saying obedience, uh, he's also telling us that obedience flows from a heart of faith. That you and I are called before the Lord to be obedient. Now what does obedient look like? Well, the first off, if you look at verse number eight, Paul says that, uh, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Obedience looked like us proclaiming the faith of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. That's how obedience looks. But Paul also talks about another kind of obedience. If you drop down to verse 18 through 32, there's a list of things that Paul calls us as his people 
to be obedient to. And the first is this. We are called to be obedient to the biblical sexuality. Now hear me, beloved. This, this text, Romans 1, 18 down on to verse 32. If Paul uh, went into our churches and preached this text, he'd be canceled. Right? He would. Why? Because Paul is calling us to obedience in biblical sexuality. Paul is saying, look, if any sexual relationship that is not between a man and a woman in the covenant of marriage is disobedient towards God. And so Paul says homosexuality is a result of disobedience toward God. That sex outside of marriage is the result of disobedience toward God. That cohabitation is a result of disobedience toward God. That God's people must remember that their bodies are not their own, but they are temples of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we need to act differently. But not only that, if you drop down to verse number 29, Paul gives a list of unrighteous behavior, such as unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of, of evil. Children, listen to this one. Disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. All of these things are disobedience toward the Lord our God. And so what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying that the righteous shall live by faith. In other words, the righteous should live by obedience and obedience to God. Now notice the last thing quickly. Our righteous living is characterized by faith. That's what he says in verse number 17. The righteous shall live by faith. In other words, our living, our righteous living is characterized by a life of faith. In verse number 17, he makes this point. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. What does that mean? It means faith at the beginning and faith at the end. Our entire lives are categorized by faith from the moment we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior to the moment we die. It is a life of faith. Martin Luther, the monk who many considered started the Protestant Reformation in what is now known as his famous tower experience, Luther talks about the impact of this verse on his life. And here's what he said. And he's talking specifically about verse number 17. He says, I meditated night and day on those words until at last, by the mercy of God, I paid attention to their context. Now, keep in mind, prior to this, uh, Luther said that he hated these words, the righteousness of God. Why did he hate those words? Because he understood what that meant, what that meant. He understood the full impact of what it meant to be righteous before God. And he said he hated those words. But he said, at last, he understood them and he read them in their context. The justice, he calls it justice, but it's righteousness. The justice of God is revealed in it. As it is written, the just person lives by faith. 
And notice what Luther said. He said, I began to understand that in this verse, the justice of God is that by which the just person lives by a gift of God that is by faith. I began to understand that this verse means that the justice of God is revealed through the gospel. But it is a passive justice, i.e., that by which the merciful God justifies us by faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. What is Luther saying here? He said he recognized that the same righteousness that God demands from us is the same righteousness that God provides. And as a result of that, all at once I felt that I had been born again and entered into a paradise itself through open gates. Immediately I saw the whole of Scripture in a different light. In other words, Luther stopped living by fear and he started living by faith. And what was the benefit of that, by the way, of his conversion? Shortly after that, the Catholic Church began selling indulgences to poor farmers as a way to get out of purgatory. And Luther, because he had this conversion, because he understood that the righteous shall live by faith, this lowly monk, though he was brilliant, he was a lowly monk. He had no no rank and no clout. But this lowly monk mustered up the courage to respond to this injustice. And his response was that he wrote 95 theses against this practice of selling indulgences. Hear me, beloved. When you and I recognize that the righteous shall live by faith, it causes us to act and think differently. And so Luther did. He wasn't content with allowing the sinful practice to continue. He did something about it. He looked unto Jesus, the founder or the author and finisher of his faith. And he held fast the teachings of scripture that the righteous shall live by faith, not by a document to get out of purgatory. And not by works, but by faith. And the life of Luther was transformed, but I would argue the life of each and every one of us in this room was transformed as a result. We are called Protestants because one man looked into the scriptures and through his obedience to God to be faithful to the scriptures despite what was going on around him and despite the vast opposition against him. He recognized that the truth of Scripture is that the righteous shall live by faith. That's what it looked like in Luther's day. And in our day, it looks the same way. That we as God's people need to know what the Scriptures say. And when we have opportunity, we need to live in such a righteous way. We need to look into our society and whenever our society does the things that God has called us to do, let's celebrate it. But if we look into our society and we see the society not doing the things that God has called us to do, let us speak out against that truth no matter where we find it. Luther conquered his anxiety and fear by recognizing that the righteous should live by faith and in our day, We conquer our fear, our anxiety, our anger, our resentment, and our frustration. Look, Tuesday will come and go. 
but the righteous shall still live by faith. And this pandemic will come and go, but the righteous will still have to live by faith. The Republican and Democratic parties will all come and go. The United States, if history is any indication, will come and go. But the righteous shall still live by faith. It takes faith to raise our children. It takes faith to love our spouse. It takes faith to live in community with one another. But that's what we're called to. And it's going to be through Christ, through his grace. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. You have called the righteous to live by faith. Lord, it takes faith. In fact, you said that whatever is not done of faith is sin. Help your people who are called to be righteous, to not live by fear, to not live by circumstance, to not live by our trust in money or circumstance or situation, but just to live by faith. Live by the faith that you've given us in the power of the Holy Spirit and what is written in your word. The righteous are supposed to be bold as lions, but the only way we can do that is by living by faith. Help us to do it, Lord. Only you can. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.